0: Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word and let's study God's truth together. Now, as we're looking today um, at the church of Laodicea, now this church, you've probably heard more messages on this church than any of the others in, in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, I know that in studying it this week, I had to kind of work through different messages throughout the years that I had been a part of or under uh, the influence of, and just had to really decipher um, what was right, what was wrong, what was correct, what was not, and then go to the Word like a Brian and figure out what is what is being said here, what is being communicated, and to whom is it being communicated. I hope you had the opportunity to read that this, this uh, week. It was in... Um, chapter 9 and uh, we will finish today through church at Laodicea and then we have one more chapter in the book that we will discuss next week and we will end our um, two month or two and a half month series in in this call to reform the church just to just to kind of uh, walk us through what we've learned briefly we've looked at Ephesus the church who was entitled, they were called the Loveless Church. The church who uh, the love was growing faint um, and, and who was called to uh, remember their first love. Okay? That was the first church we looked at. And then we looked at Smyrna, the persecuted um, church. They were encouraged to persevere. They were one of two churches that received mostly commendation and, and hardly any condemnation from the glorified Christ. But they were, they were persecuted, they were, they were faithful, and they were encouraged to just excel still more, to persevere. And then we looked at Pergamum um, on that third church that we looked at, the fourth week there in our study. And that was the compromised church. The one who was allowing sin to grow and to fester in the church. They, they were big on doctrine, but they were allowing sin to take root. And then Thyatira seems to be a church that represents what Pergamum would have become. Thyatira, the, the fourth church we looked at, was dominated by immorality. It, this was years of, of church of, of sin being allowed and years of that uh, later of just it being implanted and the teachers and the, and the elders in that church teaching wrongly. We talked about it being a church that was leaning into Gnosticism, Um, They were spiritually enlightened. They had figured something out where they could basically live their lives physically however they wanted and they were able to categorize it separately from their spiritual life. Then we looked at Sardis, which was the dead church. Um, Very sad state, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. They had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Um, They had a sign out front that said they were happening. They had a parking lot full not literally, but today they would have, and, but yet they were dead inside. We're going to see a little bit of a semblance um, of that today in Laodicea. And then last week was Philadelphia. Philadelphia was the faithful church. They had no warnings, no judgments called against them. They were promised protection and escape of the judgment that's to come. And so Philadelphia was essentially like a model church. It's kind of like Thessalonica. And so... Um, It leads us to today, which is Laodicea. Again, you've probably heard a lot of messages on this. But Laodicea was basically a self-righteous church. A church that believed they were very much alive. They believed that they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. But in actuality, and we're going to see this in the study, there was no one in that church who believed. There was no one who had faith that led to repentance. No one with an actual living faith. They had a head knowledge that went about surface deep. And I think we're going to be able to make a lot of connections and understanding with this church today because sadly we are around a lot of people that would be in this category. Um, Our church is not a a Laodicean church. Um, In fact, I'm not necessarily sure that I know of a Laodicean church in its totality in Prattville. I would like to think that some were at least... Uh, like Sardis with a few. Uh, but this church was a representation of what we're going to talk about today, and that is a lukewarm heart. The, the people who are lukewarm in general when it comes to Christ. Uh, as we go through this, I think it's going to kind of be more aware to you the dangers of the lukewarm church, and, and it will open up our eyes hopefully to the ministry around us. Because in the South, everybody is a believer. Um, at least people from the South. Now, if you go through Glenbrook, people that aren't from the South, and you'll get a flavor of all types and all sorts, and they will slam the door in your face. Some, they don't care to tell you that they go to church. They'll just tell you they don't. Uh, I know that from firsthand experience over there. So that's not a great representation of the South, but it's a good representation of what the rest of the country, for the most part, looks like, at least on the West Coast, Um, in the sense that some people don't care to what you think of them? Um, but for the most part, people that's grown up here will tell you, "Yeah, I go to a church. Oh yeah, I'm a, I believe." But their lives don't prove that, and um, so we're going to talk more about that in a little in a little while. Um, as we examine this letter today, I want us to just uh, put the glasses of humility on, and um, n- don't do it from a standoffish point because it's easy to look at Laodicea and say, "I'm not like them." But we need to be able to look at them and say, are there people like that in our church? And the answer would be yes. Are there people like that in our family, in our neighborhoods, in, in our communities, our workplaces? And the answer is yes. So what does the Word of God say to, about these folks? And what does God say as His love for these folks? And that's going to motivate us today. We need to look at this through the glasses of humility And if there's anybody even in here this morning that would find themselves being lukewarm, then uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will do a great work in your life today. Um, Look at Revelation chapter 3 with me. Let's turn there together. Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 is where we're going to pick up. Message to Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 14. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, And have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove And discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches may God bless the reading of his word this morning we see in verse 14 that to the angel he says of Laodicea right to the angel of the church I should say in Laodicea he describes himself in every letter now the last two or this one and the last he did not take descriptions from his original description of himself to John in Revelation chapter one and Instead, he goes to more of a, in this one, an explanation of what was maybe being taught in that church against the glorified Christ. Um, What he says in verse 14 is that the Amen, the faithful and true witness. He says a title, the beginning of the creation of God says this. So these are some pretty bold statements that are referring to him as a faithful and true um, Christ. Not only as he walked on this earth, he was faithful and true in his teachings, but also in his now resurrection and with the Father. He is the faithful and true, capital W, witness. He is the Amen. He is the beginning and the end. He is... The praise and glory of all men, and then this title, and we know this title, uh, beginning of the creation of God. It resonates with us, maybe from a passage that we've studied by Paul before in Colossians chapter one. I there's a song by Andrew Peterson that take is taken straight from this passage. That every time I read it, I can't help but hear the melody and the tune in my head. But if you'll hold your place here and turn to Colossians 1.15, what we see is that there was heresy that was being addressed by who was the beginning of the creation of God. Was Christ there? Was the Holy Spirit there? And we see in Colossians 1, Paul gives a great understanding and description of this. Now Paul, I'll just tell you, was never at Laodicea, according to what we understand. Um, he never made it there, but he did... Um, he did have some correspondence with at least those elders that were there. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we, write, we read, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. We see this explanation in Colossians chapter 1 would have been what Christ, the glorified Christ, is describing in in this title. This one who is writing um, to the angel of the church at Laodicea. He says He's the beginning of the creation of God as man, who had a beginning God was the beginning we were created and God was he always has been but there was a heresy concerning the person of Christ that had produced and that was producing this false teaching in Laodicea there is a commentary um, by many uh, theologians that believe that this was trickling down even from Colossae. As we just read from Paul's letter to them, they were struggling with the same sort of heritage. And so this was bleeding over possibly into Laodicea. In this church, um, Paul ministering in Ephesus and in Colossians, although never personally visiting Laodicea, would have had a ministry through these other churches to this church as well. And in Laodicea, we see that there was a problem. We're going to start to look at what that is in verse 15. Revelation 3, this verse 15 says, I know your deeds. He says that to every church. I know your deeds. Well, he said that to Philadelphia and ended up being very good. But what does he say to them? That you are neither cold nor hot. So I wish you were cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm, and because you're not cold, and because you're not hot, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will spit you, which is literally translated vomit. Now, if you read the book, the chapter this week, then you can see there's a lot of historical context to this church and um, MacArthur brings out the fact that they were very, pretty far away from a good water source, which, uh, very innovative at the time, but they had this underground aqueduct system that would have uh, um, supplied water to them. But the problem was, is it was compromised, and it would have been pretty gross. Um, uh, the water traveling that distance would not have been um, a good temperature, uh, been a lukewarm type temperature possibly even uh, more hot in the, in the hotter parts of the year. But then the um, aqueduct system was made of clay, and so it just, it was compromised. And even years later, and even today, you can see some of the ruins of this, but years later, uh, just the, the growth of mold and dis- just disgusting plants and stuff that were kind of infiltrating this system was enough to turn your stomach to think about actually drinking the water from that. But, you know, like a lot of cultures, some people can, they grow accustomed to um, their water system. I remember even just the taste of water in Florida when we go visit. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about. It's not like the water here. Um, to me, it's just disgusting. And so I refuse to drink it. Um, I just drink bottled water down there. Yeah, it's, it's something. I don't know. Um, and uh, I remember going to visit. My grandparents had a beach house in Panama City, and I just... As a kid, it was like, this water is putrid. This is nasty. But it wasn't making people sick. It just didn't taste good. Um, and so MacArthur goes into a lot of detail here in unpacking this. But, you know, in, this, in these letters, each one of these letters has geographical information tied in and descriptions that these people would have understood. And so the glorified Christ, writing through John on the Isle of Patmos, knew these churches personally he knew these locations clearly. He was the beginning. He was the Amen. He was the faithful and true one. And so he's writing to this church so that when they're reading this letter, they can make direct correlations with certain things. And if, if you can imagine being a visitor to Laodicea, just that dirty, tepid water would have been pretty disgusting uh, to, to taste, um, traveling that long distance underground. Now, um... Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have drink drank the water like that. So they would have mixed it with some sort of alcoholic something to kill the the, <laughs> the germs in there. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about camping. You know, the best way to drink the pal- most palatable water is boiled water, and so you can get every, all the um, j- just all the junk out of there, all the ger- all the germs. And but then there's the the the, the straws. You know, the filtered water straws. Um, my boys. Want those so bad? They want to go to the the creeks on our property and drink water out of the straws. Um, and then there is, um, uh, yeah. What did you say, Josh? Yeah, yeah. And I, I was trying to tell them that because we've had to do that before. Um, but then, um, then there's other there's other means and methods that just gets where you can put iodine in your water, but it doesn't kill everything. And so obviously the best way is to boil that water. And um, and and thinking of of this treatment Uh, you know there was a reason why they drank and brother glenn did a message on this few years ago There was a reason why they drank wine and um they didn't just drink wine all the time they were just a bunch of wine i was walking around um they didn't drink it for the purpose of um intoxication but a lot of times it was sometimes it was for that parties and stuff but they drank it in order to be able to drink the water um Or or to um, be able to have some sort of a cleansing process there. But yeah, good point, Bill. Um, But just like this dirty, disgusting water um, would have been spit out or turned your stomach, this is how the glorified Christ is describing the church as a whole. The church as a whole. I know if you're like me and you go to, you're hot, you come into the house, you want some water and you go to get some water and it's just warm. I mean, there's nothing like a cold drink of water, right? And... um, And then I don't want my coffee lukewarm either. I want it hot. And so we can understand those analogies, but there's greater (laughs) greater implications here uh, that we're going to start to examine. Now in verse 17, we're going to come back to this spitting out of the mouth idea. But in verse 17, he says, you say, I am rich. You say um, that basically you have the industry figured out. What is he saying? If you read the chapter, you understand what what is being said here. He gives some very specific salvation references in relation to their industry. And so he brings out certain things like gold, white garments, and salve. And so he says in 17 and 18, "...you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing." And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, they think they have the truth. They believe that they are um, in Christ. That their faith, um, which may believe that Jesus was the truth, was not a faith that saved because they had never given him themselves. There was a, there's a difference. And we see this even worked out in our own uh, society today. In verse 18, he says, I advise you, and this is the gospel, this is the salvation references to their industry. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold. This gold is not the gold that you are Uh, excavating this gold is the gold by me that is refined by fire in verse 18 why what is this refining fire gold do well that is the true source of wealth we see so that you may become rich that is The refiner's fire, the one that puts you through trials and temptations, that proves that you are a child of God. He says, I wish or advise you to buy gold from me, gold refined by fire so that you can truly become rich. See, these people thought they had it all figured out. They were in the industry. They did not need Jesus. They did not need God. And so they thought they had enough. The second thing is the white garments. He says in verse 18, and white garments. Why? So that you may clothe yourself. That doesn't mean they were running around naked. They had clothes on. This is a salvation reference. So that you will truly be clothed in righteousness. White garments. And then a second part of that, that's another salvation reference, is that the, sh- the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The shame of your nakedness. Okay, this goes back to the garden. This goes back to the first Christ type that we have in Adam. The one who hid because he realized he was naked. Didn't know it before, but then once sin was introduced, he understood. And so Christ is saying to this church, I would that you would recognize your sin. That you would recognize that the wrath of God on sin is great. And that you need salvation. Salvation. You need my gold. You need my white garments. And then he says in verse 18, you need eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is the eye salve from Christ so that they may see that they have a need for salvation. And so again... What a wonderful depiction to this church who would have understood gold, garments, and salve. They were were major producers um, in um, the, the medicinal aspect, specifically with the salve. And so they would have understood these references, but maybe not quite understood the gospel references in those. And this would have been a wonderful unpacking for the pastor. These are the three ingredients that are given For salvation. To this church. He says in verse 19. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Now this verse is used. Because there's other references in the scriptures. That talk about God's love and chastening for his children. And we know that he does that to us. Because we feel it. We know just like the. The. uh, maybe the illustrations that you've seen before, that He chisels away at us. And that is the process of sanctification. Our growth in Him is the shedding of sin. It's, the, it's being like Him, the, the standard, the perfect standard. It is striving to be holy as He is holy. And we understand in that process that we are shedding the old and that we are becoming the new And every day we take off the old man and put on the new. But in this passage, because of the surrounding verses, verse 18 and verse 20, it is very clear that he is talking about the fact that he loves unbelievers. John 3.16 is a very clear indication that he loves unbelievers. For God so loved the world that he gave his son... He did, he gave his son Jesus on the cross, ultimately to bring him glory. But it was to save sinners from hell. It was to save sinners so that they can be one with him. And so we know that Jesus loves the unrepentant. And he calls them to repent constantly in every one of these letters. And so those whom he loves, he reproves, he disciplines Verse 18 again says, I advise you, here's three gospel references, buy my gold, wear my garments, put on my eye And then in verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door and knock. Now, if you're like me, you've heard many gospel messages with that verse being said. You've probably heard that verse many times. Behold, God stands at your heart's door and he knocks. Well, that, that's not a wrong Um, understanding necessarily of the of what Christ does in salvation but in in this context in this context what we see is that he is standing at the church of Laodicea's door knocking because he is not in the church the church has a name that's in Christ but Christ isn't in there he doesn't dwell there and so he's standing at the, the door of the church that has his name on it saying will you let me in Will anybody hear the knocking and open the door? And if they will, I will come in. That's a very clear gospel presentation. And it goes back to the proof that he loves, he loves sinners. Verse 21 closes like the rest of these letters. He talks about the overcomer. Those are the genuine, the genuine children of God, the true Christians. You can look back in verse 7 and see a great explanation of that as well. But he says to the overcomers, or he who overcomes, and the indication is that no one has, is an overcomer in this church, but he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We don't overcome, do we, by any works of our own. We overcome by the same way that Christ overcame. We overcome because of His overcoming. Because He overcame and because He sits at the throne. We, as believers in Christ, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have repented of the sins that leads to salvation... That is the ones who overcome. Those true believers are secured and they will be on the throne with him, he says. They will be with him, sitting with him. It's a figured ex- expression, but it's, it's identifying the privilege, the privilege and authority that Christ enjoys. MacArthur brings this out in this chapter so beautifully. This is a privilege that we have. I want to close with a passage in Luke chapter 22. If you'll turn there with me. Luke 22, Verse 29. Luke 22:29 says, "And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I'll wait for you to get there." Luke 22:29, "And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel." There's a lot to unpack there. We don't have time to unpack it all, but the beauty of that is that we will fellowship with God at His table. We're invited to His table. He stood at the door. He's standing at the door of Laodicea. He's standing at the door of all who know not Him, who have put their faith and trust in their own wealth, maybe put their faith and trust in their own abilities, Maybe they think, they're walking around thinking they're Christians. And everybody in this room knows somebody who probably is identified like this. I've told you, I've got family members. I could call them right now and give them the best gospel presentation I can think of. And they will say, don't worry about me. I'm a Christian. And lives don't really prove that. And so it it makes us sad, right? It makes us wonder, what can we do? Well, there's nothing but to be faithful and true, to be gospel spreaders, to be a disciple of Christ, praying that the Holy Spirit will convict and move in the lives of these people. And guys, I just want to encourage you to don't just take the word of people necessarily when they say, and you know that they're they're not living for the Lord, and they just say that they're Christians, and you just adopt them into the children of God and act like they are when you know they're not. The Bible says now, if they're not in the church, you can't do discipline on them. But the Bible says to, re- to reach them like a lost person. You need to continue to share the truth and the love of Christ with them. And, and you need to understand that Christ, as long as there's breath, is knocking. He's knocking. And so we don't know who, who God will call to salvation. But we know that he does a great work through his ambassadors. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook, email us at info at or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.